I was told of one case where there was a young boy who wasn't aware of the oil spill and went swimming directly after. And then when he came out, his skin was all red and full of blotches. That's Kim Brown, freelance journalist in Ecuador, talking about a recent oil spill in the Amazon. She told us in part one about the thousands of indigenous Ecuadorians who fled to the Amazon to avoid COVID-19, only to be bombarded with an environmental crisis when they got there. I think this is a boy of about 14 years old. And so they don't know to what extent it affected and got into his body and what effect this could have. Think about that boy, covered in oil, suffering as his family's food and water sources contaminated by the pipelines that creep farther and farther into their lands. And people are very concerned about the long-term impact that this is going to have on his health. Those pipelines are in the Amazon, disrupting the delicate ecosystem because the government allowed them to be there. That teenage boy's fate can be traced back to decisions that Ecuador's government made when he was just an infant. In today's episode, we look at the devastating and continuing consequences of one of the most ill-advised deals in Ecuador's recent history. I'm Kevin Hurton, filling in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Chances are you've never heard of the Coca-Cola Sinclair Dam. It's a project that was supposed to supercharge renewable energy in Ecuador, but it also brought environmental disasters, corruption, and crippling debt. To understand this complicated story, we wanted to speak with someone who can attack it from all sides. Sigrid Vasquez fits that description. She's not only an environmental biologist in Ecuador, but she also works with an organization called Curbing Corruption. Let me start saying that uh, the dam itself was a project for a lot of decades before it was built. The project first came up in the 1980s. Sometimes we had a lot of blackouts because we had this infrastructure that was not sufficient. The River Coca is a very potent river. And so a lot of people always thought that it would be a great project to put hydroelectric plants. The hope was that a hydroelectric dam on the potent Coca River would solve Ecuador's electricity issues. The blueprint said that this one dam could provide renewable energy for 30% of the country. So, <laughs> what's the problem? Let's get this thing built, right? Well, uh, there are a few small concerns. It's in an area that it's prone to earthquakes. Hmm, that could be a problem. It has an active volcano that erupts all the time. It hasn't stopped. Oh, boy. It's one of the most humid, or there's a lot of rain in that area. And all these things just tell you, you shouldn't build such a large infrastructure there. Because if something goes wrong, then everything goes wrong. There are also two main oil pipelines in the area. You think... Why wouldn't they spread the risk? Put the pipeline somewhere else or, you know, build a smaller dam? No, they just conflated all the aspects. Okay, so the project has some pretty major red flags. You got nearby oil infrastructure, earthquakes, a volcano. But the government of Rafael Correa, who was president in the late 2000s, he wanted to push ahead anyway. Fair enough. But for a project this risky, you got to do all the checks, right? Leave absolutely nothing to chance. 
When they built a dam, they never did a geological examination. Oh no. Or a hydrological examination. I mean, to build such a huge mega infrastructure without doing these detailed studies, which of course would have cost a lot of money and would have taken a lot of years, right. but would have ensured that perhaps now they're talking about that you should have done a smaller dam. I mean, it's it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. They decide to build a dam next to a volcano with out updated hydrological studies or environmental studies. It's shocking. Mm-hmm. It is shocking. It is shocking because um, everybody thought that this project would kind of like transport us to a new era of hydroelectricity or sovereignty over our electricity. And it hasn't. We produce so much electricity from that dam, but it's not able to be transported through the electrical grid. So we only use it at half capacity. And now we have a a very big vulnerability in terms of the infrastructure that's around. Let me just recap what Sigrid said there, because it's important. They spent more than $2 billion building this dam to develop renewable energy for the country. It's the biggest public works project in Ecuador's history, and it does not work beyond half capacity. When it was inaugurated in 2016, there were already some places in which it had cracked. The first time the Coca-Cola Sinclair Dam was fully turned on, it fritzed out and caused blackouts across the country. The dam that was supposed to stop electricity blackouts was causing them. So the dam was expensive. It arguably makes the energy crisis worse. And because environmental studies weren't done, Sigrid says there's a widespread theory the project is causing destruction there too. Look at what happened to San Rafael Waterfall, which was once the tallest in Ecuador. San Rafael was a 150-meter waterfall with a huge jump. It was a beautiful scenery, and it was usually used in all the uh, propaganda, if you want to say, to come to Ecuador and the waterfall will appear. (laughs) And early this year, in February, San Rafael collapsed. It's like you will be losing, I don't know, the Statue of Liberty, if you want yeah. to say. You <laughs> yeah. know, all of us. Niagara Falls. Yeah. No. So that was the, the emotional impact. I was so angry at the way the, the media portrayed it because they didn't do a thorough research on the scientific side. One of the newspapers signed a report saying it collapsed because of rains. I was annoyed with that report because a million year cascade waterfall will not just disappear because of loads of rain. Can you explain your theory on why it collapsed? If you think about, okay, what did the dam do? The dam takes some of the river and it puts it in a tunnel and it makes the electricity and then it flows. So basically she's saying, this is how the dam works. It diverts water from the river, spins it in turbines to generate electricity, and then it spits that water back out into the river on the other side. In catching some of the water of the river, 
the dam takes out all the sediments. Rivers have sediments because of a natural equilibrium. And so if you take it out, you have less gravel or sediments in the river. The river will try to compensate that energy by mining, if you want to say, the waterbed. You increase the speed of the river. So that is the hypothesis they call as hungry waters, because it's like a water that's hungry to go back to equilibrium. Wow, so there's so many effects when you do something like this that that you just won't foresee, and especially when you have a region that's interconnected. Everything is based around the river too, right? The entire ecosystem is based around the river. So if you change something upstream, it has huge effects downstream. Yes. So in this case, the dam was built upstream. Sigrid and many other scientists say it created what are known as hungry waters. That's when a river is flowing faster and faster because it doesn't have sediment anymore. And they think this is what caused San Rafael to collapse downstream. The river eroded the waterbed as it surged towards the waterfall, and eventually it just sunk entirely. Sigrid says those hungry waters could also be why there have been so many more flash floods in Ecuador's Amazon lately, which wreak havoc on the indigenous communities there. Like we mentioned at the start of the episode, the oil spills also harm the indigenous communities. And to understand how they're connected to the dam, we have to follow the money. There's a reason no previous administration ever built the Coca-Cola Sinclair Dam. It's incredibly expensive. But President Rafael Correa, he thought he found a solution. Foreign loans. The story goes that they were looking for finance. At the end of the day, they found China. China is a major lender to this small Latin American nation. It owns about 18% of its external debt. And China is the, the one that lent it over 19 billion overall to do a lot of infrastructure. That money went towards bridges, roads, and dams across Ecuador. But China was doing this all over the world. Just as Western private capital was drying up due to the Great Recession, China was looking to spend. China has an agenda. And if you see South America, China started to invest in a lot of projects. And so Ecuador said, okay, well, we have this interest in this dam. And China agreed to give a loan with rates, which are extremely high. Some might even say predatory. (laughs) Yes. And part of the, the agreement is that we have what they call a petroleum facility which is instead of paying money, we pay them in petroleum. So China loaned $19 billion. And here's the beautiful part. Ecuador could pay most of it back in oil. And they got plenty of oil. At least that's what they thought. But to pay back these high interest loans, Ecuador needed to start extracting more and more of it and faster than ever before. That brings us back to that 14-year-old boy covered in oil. This deal forces Ecuador to drill deeper into the Amazon, causing more deforestation, more pipelines, and inevitably more oil spills. This is bound to happen again to help pay for a dam that never worked like it should. On so many levels, this just doesn't sound like a good deal. And it makes you wonder why Ecuador's government agreed in the first place. Was it just the pull of renewable energy or was there something else going on? Was there corruption? Almost every top Ecuadorian official who was involved in the dam's construction is now in jail or convicted of bribery. 
It shows the culture of corruption in that administration. All the personnel have been uh, investigated. The difficulty is a lot of officials that have been linked to corruption are outside of Ecuador. They have escaped. And that brings me to the reflection of, of impunity. There's a lot of corruption scandals, but the problem is that not many people have gone to jail. Yes, we have the ex-vice president who is in jail, but we don't have many other figures really in jail. So the, the question is, will we continue with this impunity? Because everybody in Ecuador is already very disgusted with the situation. And the thing is that we kind of see a lot of corruption details are coming up, but the politicians are still there. I mean, it seems like nothing is going to change. It, it reminds me, it, it almost feels like somebody had a night of partying and then bought a really expensive car. And then you're stuck paying for it for years and years and years. I mean, 80% of the oil that you're pumping now, all of it, that goes to China to pay off this dam that hasn't worked and has caused massive yes. environmental problems. That's unbelievable yes, to me. Yes. And it's, and like I say, the political change hasn't come across. I mean, we, we had the government of Correa, but now we have a government with Moreno. That's President Lenin Moreno. And they, they were together. Moreno was Correa's second-in-command from 2007 to 2013, when the dam construction began. So still we're in this period in which we don't see if the officials that were involved in Coca-Cola Sinclair or the officials that were involved in other uh, corruption cases go to jail. And even if that happens, okay, we still have the debt burden. We have a, a high debt, like you said, with China and now with other countries. We have, I think it, it comes up for about half of our GDP goes to debt now. So Ecuador after COVID is expected to be one of the worst hit countries in South America. And we will have, of course, decrease in economy and debt. And we have all this mega infrastructure that we will need to keep on paying. The, you, you are Ecuadorian. Taxpayers played a role in this dam and continue to be used to clean up the mess. But you're also an environmentalist who works in public policy. So given all of that, how do you feel about the damage this project has caused? I'm heartbroken. I'm really heartbroken. Because I think it's, Maybe if the project would have would have been smaller, um, we will have electricity, and we will have still the waterfall, and we will have um, less vulnerability. With with two point three billion, we could have performed the best studies to make it a, a the best dam because. We have to have dams, we have to have electricity, but the scale of them have to be rethought and they have to be rethought in the light of climate change and environmental impact, etc., etc. I'm heartbroken because I think that the dam is going to be compromised because the erosion of the river is continuing. And in my head, as a, 
because as environmental biologists, I don't foresee a way in which they could stop it because the, the, the whole area, it's fragile, it's soil, mud, it's not bedrock. So I am sad. I'm very sad for the prospects. Uh, I think it's a very, very extremely costly lesson. Uh, what can I say? Ecuador's indigenous communities are conceivably paying the highest cost for that lesson. They're the ones living amongst all the environmental devastation that Sigrid says Coca-Cola Sinclair Dam may have caused. We explore that in more depth in part one. And if you want to listen to it, you can find it on our Twitter or Instagram pages. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve and me, Kevin Hurton, with Dina Kisba, Abigail Oni Wohacha, Malika Bilal, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and Amy Walters. Natalia Aldana is the Takes engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>